Good morning. Today's Saturday, September 16th, 2023, and this is 5 at 8 with your hosts, Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman. In this episode, we'll talk about a NASA astronaut and two Russian cosmonauts launching to the International Space Station. The launch of Abu Dhabi-based alternative investment manager Lunate, with over $50 billion in assets under management. The European Central Bank's possibility of raising borrowing costs. A bright flash on Jupiter reported by amateur astronomers in Japan. And the passing of renowned Colombian artist Fernando Botero at the age of 91. Story number one. NASA astronaut Laurel O'Hara and two Russian cosmonauts have launched aboard a Russian Soyuz spacecraft to the International Space Station, ISS, as reported by CNN International. This marks the first time in nearly a year that Russia has launched astronauts to the ISS. The crew will take over operations from a trio of crew members who have been on the space station for almost a year. The previous crew's return was delayed due to a coolant leak caused by space debris. NASA astronaut Frank Rubio, who broke the U.S. record for the most consecutive days in orbit, is expected to return to Earth soon. Despite geopolitical tensions, NASA's partnership with Roscosmos is crucial for the space station's operations and scientific research. Can we just take a moment to appreciate this feat, Linda? I mean, despite all the geopolitical tensions between the U.S. and Russia, here we have NASA and Roscosmos working together for the betterment of space science. It's like... Hey, we might have our differences on Earth, but up there in the vastness of space, we're all just humans trying to unlock the mysteries of the universe. Pretty cool, don't you think? Yes, Mark. It's quite remarkable indeed. This kind of collaborative effort is crucial for the advancement of space exploration. I think the most striking aspect for me is the resilience of these international scientific partnerships. They seem to endure, even in the face of political and social strife. It's as if the shared pursuit of knowledge creates a bridge that not only spans across nations, but also across our terrestrial conflicts. And let's not forget the role of private companies in all of this. SpaceX, for example, has been ferrying astronauts to and from the ISS, Russians included. It's a whole new era of space exploration where we're seeing this unique blend of public and private entities working together. It's not just about competition anymore, it's about collaboration. That's the real ticket to progress, if you ask me. The involvement of private companies has certainly added a new dynamic to the equation. But it's not without its challenges. Navigating the complexities of international law, ensuring equitable access to space resources, maintaining transparency and accountability. These are all issues that need to be addressed as we move forward. But as this mission demonstrates, when we come together with a shared vision, we can overcome these challenges and push the boundaries of what's possible. Well said. And let's not forget the heroes of this story, the astronauts themselves. Spending a whole year in space like Frank Rubio, that's no small feat. And Laurel O'Hara on her inaugural spaceflight? That's gotta be exciting. They're the ones out there, making history, representing all of us back here on Earth. I think we can all agree that's pretty darn amazing. Yes, Mark. Their courage and dedication epitomize the spirit of exploration and discovery. Despite the challenges and uncertainties, they step into the unknown, paving the way for our understanding of the universe. It's truly inspiring. Let's hope that this spirit of international cooperation and shared discovery continues to guide us as we venture further into the cosmos. Story number two. 
Abu Dhabi-based alternative investment manager Lunity has announced its launch with over $50 billion in assets under management, AUM, as reported by Reuters. The firm, owned by Senior Management and Chimera Investment, will focus on private markets and aims to expand globally with offices in North America, Europe, and Asia. Lunit plans to invest in a range of sectors including private equity, venture capital, private credit, real assets, public equities, and public credit. It will target institutional investors and family offices and has signed long-term separate managed accounts, SMAs, with undisclosed clients. Lunit is one of the largest alternative investment managers in the Middle East and North Africa, according to Reuters. Could you believe this, Linda? Lunit comes right out of the gate with $50 billion in assets under management. That's a significant entry into the alternative investment space. It's a testament to how private markets are opening up and evolving, don't you think? It's quite remarkable. This development is a clear indication of the ongoing trend of diversification in investment strategies. Traditional markets are no longer the only game in town, but it's not just about diversification. It's also about how these alternative investment managers are influencing global financial markets. It's a fascinating shift. You're right on the money, Linda. And it's not just about the money either. The fact that Lunate is backed by Sheikh Tanun bin Zayed Al Nayan, a high-profile figure in the UAE, says a lot about the increasing intertwining of business, politics, and wealth. This trend could have significant implications on investor relations and even wealth distribution. And when you take into account the firm's plans to invest globally and set up offices across North America, Europe, and Asia, it's clear that we're looking at a potentially transformative force in global finance. However, it's also important to bear in, bear in mind the challenges. The increasing presence of alternative investment managers also adds a new layer of complexity and risk to the financial landscape. Balancing the potential benefits with these risks will be key. What's also interesting is how this trend is not only confined to the Middle East. We're seeing similar developments in other regions, aren't we? I mean, firms backed by significant capital and high-profile individuals are popping up all over. It'll be fascinating to see how this plays out and impacts the overall stability of global markets. Yes, Mark, it's a global phenomenon indeed. And while it presents opportunities, it's crucial that these developments are met with responsible oversight and regulation. But, as they say, change is the only constant. And in the world of finance, that seems to be truer than ever. Story number three. ECB policymaker Martins Kazaks, as reported by Reuters, stated that the European Central Bank can still raise borrowing costs if necessary, contradicting market expectations of rate cuts in the Eurozone next spring. Despite the ECB's recent interest rate hike, Kazaks dismissed the idea that it marked the end of the bank's fight against high inflation. He expressed comfort with the current interest rate level and stated that if data suggests another hike is needed, it will be done. Money markets currently anticipate a rate cut in April, but Kazakhs believes this is inconsistent with the ECB's macro scenario. Before rates can be cut, the ECB must address the excess liquidity in the banking system created through bond buying programs. Good day, Linda. Quite an interesting development in the Eurozone financial market, isn't it? The European Central Bank has been in the spotlight with this unexpected stance on interest rates. Despite the market's anticipation for a decrease, ECB policymaker Martins Kazaks is suggesting there could be a hike. What's your take on this? 
Well, Mark, it certainly seems counterintuitive at first glance. But when we take a closer look at the dynamics of central banking, things start to make more sense. Central banks like the ECB have a tough balancing act. They have to maintain price stability, which means ensuring inflation rates don't spiral out of control, while also keeping an eye on economic growth and employment. I see. So the interest rate hike, or even the suggestion of it, is more about keeping inflation under control rather than just managing economic growth, right? Raising interest rates is a common tool used by central banks to curb high inflation. Higher interest rates make borrowing more expensive, which in turn reduces spending and slows down inflation. However, the decision to raise rates is always a delicate one. It can potentially slow down economic growth and increase the cost of servicing debt for businesses and individuals. And yet, Kazakh seems confident about the current level of rates and even hints at another hike if needed. Isn't that a bit, um, risky in the current economic climate? It's a calculated risk, Mark. The ECB is aware of the potential downsides, but Kazakh's statement sends a strong signal to the market that the ECB is committed to its inflation target of 2%. This can help manage market expectations and speculation by asserting that they are prepared to take necessary steps, even if they are unpopular. The ECB is trying to ensure stability in the Eurozone financial market. Hmm, that's insightful, Linda. But what about the excess liquidity in the banking system due to the ECB's bond-buying programs? What role does that play in all this? Great point, Mark. The bond-buying programs were essentially a way for the ECB to pump money into the economy during a period of low inflation. Now, with the possibility of interest rate hikes, the ECB needs to start thinking about removing some of that excess liquidity. If they don't, there's a risk that too much money supply could fuel even higher inflation. It's another part of the delicate balancing act they have to perform. So it's all a complex game of checks and balances, huh? Thanks for breaking it down, Linda. Gives us a lot to think about. As always, the world of finance and economics never fails to keep us on our toes. Story number four. Amateur astronomers in Japan have reported a bright flash on Jupiter, one of the brightest ever recorded on the gas planet, as reported by the New York Times. These flashes are caused by asteroids or comets from the edges of our solar system impacting Jupiter's atmosphere. Scientists are interested in studying these events to gain insights into our solar system's birth and early history. While powerful impacts into Jupiter are rare, they provide valuable data for understanding the planet's atmosphere and meteorology. Amateur astronomers play a crucial role in capturing and reporting these events, as they are often observed opportunistically. Is it not fascinating, Linda, how amateur astronomers are making significant contributions to our understanding of the cosmos? This recent event where they recorded a bright flash in Jupiter's atmosphere is a prime example. It's like we have a whole army of citizen scientists out there using backyard astronomy equipment to explore the universe. Yes, Mark. It's a powerful demonstration of the democratization of science, where contributions aren't limited to just professional scientists or large-scale projects. What's intriguing is that these flashes they observe are caused by asteroids or comets from the edges of our solar system impacting Jupiter's atmosphere. It's like Jupiter is acting as a unique scientific tool, allowing us to study these bodies indirectly. Couldn't have put it better myself, Linda. These flashes, they're our window into the past. They allow us to peek into the violent processes that were prevalent in the early days of our solar system. It's like witnessing planetary evolution in real time. And we have our amateur astronomers to thank for it. Comparing the energy of these flashes to events like the 1908 Tunguska explosion 
puts into perspective the scale of these impacts. It's a reminder of the sheer forces at work in the cosmos. And while these impacts may not always leave a visible debris field to study, they still provide crucial insights into the chemistry and temperature responses of planets like Jupiter. True, Linda. And it's not just about Jupiter. There's reason to believe that similar impacts may have shaped other celestial bodies like Saturn's rings. And there's even tentative evidence to suggest that Uranus and Neptune have also been hit. It's like our giant planets are all playing dodgeball with asteroids and comets. A colorful way to put it, Mark. But you're right. And it underscores the importance of maintaining these observation efforts. Because every flash, every impact is a potential treasure trove of data waiting to be uncovered. And while we have the likes of the James Webb and Hubble Space Telescopes, it's the dedicated backyard astronomers who are truly pioneering in this field of research. Couldn't agree more, Linda. And it's a testament to how technology is democratizing the field of astronomy, allowing amateurs to make significant contributions. It's a part of the scientific community that often goes overlooked. But as we've seen, it's absolutely vital. And it's a reminder that big discoveries don't always come from big projects. Story number five. Fernando Botero, Colombia's most famous artist known for his voluptuous depictions of people and animals, has died at the age of 91, as reported by Al Jazeera. His daughter confirmed that he passed away in Monaco due to complications from pneumonia. Botero's works, characterized by plump and slightly surreal forms, can be found in museums and public spaces worldwide. He was hailed as South America's equivalent to Picasso, and was considered one of the greatest artists of the 20th century. Botero's art often addressed violence, politics, and daily life, and he was particularly known for his series of paintings depicting the Abu Ghraib prison scandal. Despite living most of his life in Europe and the United States, his work was heavily influenced by his native Colombia. Botero's legacy includes the creation of the Botero Museum in Bogota, which houses over 200 of his works and receives half a million visitors annually. He is survived by his wife, daughter, and two sons. Have you ever noticed, Linda, how artists like Fernando Botero have this knack for capturing the essence of their surroundings, their societies, and then transforming it into something that leaves you thinking long after you've seen their work? It's not just about the form, it's also about the story behind it. Yes, Mark. Botero's art, or Boterismo as it's known, wasn't just about painting voluptuous figures. What he was doing was creating a running commentary on the society he was a part of. The plump bullfighters, sex workers, they were all reflections of his experiences in Medellin and Colombia. Right. And he didn't shy away from the tough subjects either, did he? I mean, his depiction of violence, political realities, internal conflicts, it's all there in his paintings. Definitely. Botero used his art as a medium to portray the harsh realities of life. For instance, his series on the Abu Ghraib prison scandal was a profound critique on the abuse of power. It was provocative, it was disturbing, but it was also very, very real. That's what gets me, Linda. Artists like Botero, they're using their craft not just to create something beautiful, but also to critique, to comment on societal issues. It makes you see art in a whole new light, doesn't it? It certainly does, Mark. Art is not just about aesthetics. It's a form of social reflection, a critique. That's why works like those of Botero are so enriching. They make you stop, think, question, and perhaps become a little more aware of the world we live in. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow.
Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.